Good morning. My name is Aaron Barnett. I am, in fact, the director of middle school ministries here at Grace Fellowship Church. Um, I have been on staff for two years this month, actually. Uh, it's been a quick two years before I realized what I got myself into, and now I'm here. Um, some of you know me or have heard of me because of middle school or other circles that uh, we've, we've over, overlapped, and uh, other people here are saying, who in the world is this kid and where's Brad? Uh, I apologize Uh, And I'm sorry to disappoint, but I hope uh, by the end of this morning, you will be encouraged and spurred on uh, to go rejoicing. Uh, That is my hope and prayer. Being here at Grace Fellowship on staff, some of of the staff members know me and some of you might know me uh, or family. I have a nickname, Ace. Uh, some of you, some of you know it, others, others not. Uh, I've had it many years, long enough now that there are some circles who know me exclusively as Ace. I was introduced as Ace. That, that's my nickname. Other people know me as Aaron and they hear Ace and they're like, oh, who is Ace? It's like, oh, Ace is Aaron. They find out it's the same person. Hey, go ask Ace. It's like, who is it? It's Aaron. Nicknames are cool. Uh, and I like the nickname Ace. Only, uh, the only problem comes when people find out how I got my nickname. Some of you laugh because you know. Growing up in high school uh, and, and the beginning of college, I was really big into freestyle skiing, jumping and tricks and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the guys that I rode with, the skiers, they, they had cool names or nicknames or the, the lingo or what, what have you. And, and a buddy of mine that we, I would ski with, I was like, man, I want a nickname. We want nicknames. So uh, we gave ourselves nicknames. And uh, that's, <laughs> I said, I'll be ace. <laughs> uh, it stuck somehow. I don't know. Um, but another nickname I have, that's not the only one, uh, being the director of middle school, uh, the middle schoolers have some other nicknames for me. <laughs> uh, and one of them um, is, this originally was a story I used as an illustration and a message, but uh, the illustration is long gone, and the only thing that is remembered is the nickname. Um, I'm one of seven kids, I'm the middle child. Uh, growing up, uh, I was homeschooled. Uh, for, for a good chunk of my, my education. Uh, but one of those times we were either outside playing, I don't think it was summer, but regardless, we were outside and some of my siblings were climbing a tree fort. And uh, I'm not, if you know me, I'm, I don't get angry. I'm not really, uh, I don't get enraged even. Uh, but this time they wouldn't let me climb the tree and I was furious. So I went and I got a hammer. I wasn't going to go build my own tree fort to climb in. What I did is I took that hammer and I threw it at him. <laughs> so picture them up in the tree and I'm there with this hammer and I chuck it at him. It hits the tree, bounce back and smacks me dead center right in the forehead. No, not, not joking. Needless to say, if amongst the middle school circles you hear kids talking and you hear them reference hammerhead, that's this guy. So ace or hammerhead, you got to take your pick. I love working with the middle schoolers. Uh, no matter what nicknames they come up for me. Uh, they are a joy. It's a season of life unique that is foundational. I remember my middle school years. Uh, I remember leaders that I had, things they said, how they said it, uh, situations that they handled. It's, it's affected who I am today. I remember those, uh, those times. And I love getting to be a part of that. Being the director of middle school ministry this morning, what does that mean? Uh, if, if any of you were to raise your hand during my sermon with a question, that, that wouldn't throw me off. <laughs> it wouldn't throw me off either if instead of waiting for me to call on you, you were to just shout out whatever question it was that you had. 
as a matter of fact, if you guys were to all randomly just start shouting out whatever random thoughts came to your head, whether they pertain to my sermon or not, it would not, it would not be that surprising. Now, please, please don't. I, I would appreciate that. And I try not to tolerate that kind of behavior, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. Again, I will say I love working with the middle school students, uh, and I am grateful to be here this morning to preach to you all. I will dearly miss, however, being upstairs during second service. Right now, the middle schoolers are meeting, and that's normally where I would be. Um, being in the book of Romans, the crown jewel of salvation, the book is packed so full of meat, stuff that is so good to chew on. It is so rich, and that's why it's taken us so long to go through. Believe it or not, though, this is actually my second time going through the book of Romans underneath Brad's teaching. I'm 25 years old, and I'll be 26 in May. My mom and dad, Steve and Jane Barnett, some of you may know them, they've been here. Uh, they were here at Grace Fellowship Church at the very first meeting. I was five. That means I've been here for about 21 years, 20 years, depending on, I don't remember exactly the start date. On top of being in Romans two times, what that means is I have heard virtually every single Big Rock sermon that has been preached. Minus, minus a few that I was sick. What that also means is I've been under Brad's teaching for long enough now that he's, he's heavily influenced me and you'll start to hear uh, some things come out that, that, are, that are Brad, you know, like, hey, uh, I hope you have your Bible uh, or an app in your lap. Get it out now. Um, I would appreciate that. Um, I am excited to see what God would have for us this morning. And I really do hope that you have a copy of scripture. Uh, get it out and turn to Romans 9 if you're not already there. Uh, if you guys would, please, please pray with me now. God, I thank you for, for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church, uh, this congregation, the people, God, uh, whom you love. And we, we praise you uh, and are grateful for who you are and all that you have done for us. Uh, God, I ask that you would come now and you would open our ears um, and, and reveal yourself to us through your word, uh, what we can find uh, In scripture, in Romans 9, in the beginning of 10, God, uh, would you come and open your word to us now? In Christ's name, amen. We have been in Romans 9 for a couple weeks, uh, and we'll be in in Romans 9 a couple more weeks still. Uh, it's, It's full of... Uh, talking about the doctrine of election, and there's mystery there, and we need to chew on that. Uh, But instead of spending time chewing on the mystery and and, and what that means, I want to spend time this morning talking about something we do know from Scripture. So please follow along. I'm going to start in Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. 
10 verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Pretty much Paul is saying the Gentiles, the end of Romans chapter 9, he's saying the Gentiles, those who do not have the law and do not care, they get God's righteousness. And he's saying the Israelites, the chosen people of God who had Moses and David and Abraham and Jesus, they have the history of the captivity in Egypt, the Ten Commandments. They have the record of God's faithfulness again and again and again who are going after God's righteousness, they miss it. So the Gentiles... Not pursuing it, get it. The Israelites pursuing it, miss it. Why? Verse 32. Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. The Gentiles were able to quickly see their need for help, while the Israelites thought they were doing just fine by holding to their own righteousness. Paul knew this firsthand. Keep your finger in Romans 9 and flip over to Philippians chapter 3 real quick. Paul knew this. He's talking to the Israelites and he knows where they're coming from. Philippians 3, starting in verse 4 through 6. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, which is in the law. I was blameless. He's saying, I'm a, I was a pro, guys. I was doing it. I was where you, where you are now. I see you. But if you recall, Paul, on the road to Damascus, God saved him. God took the scales off his eyes. And Paul was opened up to the reality of who Christ is and what he did. And he, he could see, and he now can say to them, guys, I know where you're coming from, and I know what I was missing, and it's Christ. That's why he can go from Romans 9 and then say, hey, you guys are stumbling at the stumbling stone. I missed it too. And then he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer is that you be saved. Paul is able to be empathetic. He's able to relate And he's filled with emotion because he looks out and sees the people don't know Christ. I can't help but feel the same way today, to be honest. Max Stiles says it well uh, in his book, Marks of the Messenger. He says, quote, I feel my heart sink to my shoes when it becomes clear to me that good people, well-meaning people, church-going people, have been convinced that they are Christians, but are not. Do you believe that's possible? Can people be convinced that they are Christians, but not be? I believe so. I think Max Stiles hits on it. A little bit later, in, or earlier in the chapter where that, that came from, Max Stiles, he's, he's a pastor of a church in Dubai, and, and he's talking about membership. And he says, for members, a conversation is required to be had about a commitment of faith, one's commitment of faith. 
And he says, there's, there's two people, there's two camps. One over here, it's obvious when having these conversations, you can tell people love the Lord. It's like you can tell that it's real. And he said, there's another one that's obvious that they don't know Christ. He said, the problem, he said, who are the converted? The muddled middle, the people who say and talk and come and attend. How does someone get saved? That's the question I want to talk about this morning. How does anyone get saved? May seem simple question, one that you could answer. If we were to be in a one-on-one conversation, I were to ask, how, how does somebody get saved? You could probably even answer it and hit on all the buzzwords of Christianity today. You could say Jesus, Bible, God's word, sin, the cross, the gospel, justification, sanctification, repentance, baptism. I could go on. Here's another question, one that might not seem so simple. Could you confidently tell someone you don't think they're a Christian? Could you confidently confidently tell someone, like Paul is doing here, you're missing it. You're missing Christ. I see a problem in our, in our culture, uh, in the world even, but specifically in our culture. I, I see it in college campuses. Uh, I see it in youth. I see it with uh, the old, the young, across the board. Something that's not new, something that shouldn't surprise you. You probably all have seen it. Our culture is so churched. We are so religious and spiritual. And I'm not talking other religions. I'm talking within Christianity. We are so religious. The problem is this. When I talk to people, people don't know what it means to be saved. The Israelites, how did they miss it? Look again at verse 32. They, they didn't seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. The Israelites, they thought they got God's righteousness, not by faith, but by holding to their own righteousness. How do people miss it today? As Max Style said, and as, as I see, and I think you guys would too, you would agree. People are missing it. How do we miss it? It's the same thing as the Israelites then, as it is today. I think people are holding to their own righteousness. I'm a good person. I'm going to church. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm serving. I'm going to small groups. Listen, people today, if you listen for it, people today feel and believe that they are a Christian because of the things that they're doing. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's people who love the Lord, who are serving him and going hard after him. And there's people who hate God. But there's a bunch of people in the middle in this Christian nation we live in that are missing it. People see the things true believers do. The people here that are doing it, that are going hard after God, they see those things and they imitate those things. Which is not a bad thing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The only problem is when people place their faith in the things they're doing rather than in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which motivates the things you do or should. And I think that's what happens. Let me share the testimony of someone who, who like Paul, was good at, at doing 
I want to share with you my own testimony. Some of you know me or you know me pretty well uh, and have heard parts of this. Uh, others of you, this will be completely new. Um, growing up, I went to Calvary Christian School, which is, which is here in the area, a good school. Fifth and half of sixth grade while I was coping and recovering from the hammer incident. <laughs> I switched and came back to homeschooling and then ended up going back to Calvary my sophomore year of high school. And I graduated in 2007. While I was at high school, I received the Fruit of the Spirit Award, which is a really cool thing. And what that means is pretty much at school, I was demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. I was a good kid. Let me backtrack a little, though, before I get there. Growing up, I remember praying the prayer. I remember getting saved. And I don't mean to discount anybody's testimony who was saved at a young age, but for me, it was not real. So this is my testimony. I prayed the prayer and I got saved. But remember, I'm the middle child. And what that means is I have two older siblings, or three older siblings, two brothers and one sister. I was able to learn from their mistakes. Or you could say it this way. I, was learn, I learned all the ways not to get caught, if I'm being honest. I looked up to a lot of people and aspired to be like a lot of people. And I learned how to do all the right things. I became good at being obedient. I was able to learn from my siblings as well as others and know how to please my parents, to please other people. But if you hear it, all it was, I was a people pleaser. I liked praise. Leading all the way up to high school where I received the Fruit of the Spirit Award, pretty much I was a good kid at being obedient to my parents. I was good at playing the part and being the kind of student my teachers appreciated. At least, at least most of the times I recall. I was in Boy Scouts. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout. I got that in 2007, my senior year of high school. Not to boast or anything, but I'm, I'm telling you, growing up, and not to discount, I'm grateful for Boy Scouts. I'm grateful for Calvary High School. It's a lot of who I am is because of those. But the problem was this. I was good at being good. I was good at being, I was a good young man. What was really going on inside me, though, what was really going on inside was doubt, fear, worry, confusion. All of who I was was built on my ability to perform. My obedience, my ability to establish my own righteousness. Therefore, I was not sure if I was a Christian. I heard Brad say all the time, it's like, if you're a Christian, you know, you know it. I would sit right where you guys are. I've been here for a long time. I would sit and hear that. And it's like, I would tremble inside because I didn't know. And I would try to do more things so I could get to the point where I knew, but I never got there. Not yet, at least. I would suppress the doubt and the confusion, concern. And here's, here's a funny little example. And, and some of you may be able to relate. And, and, and this, I would suppress doubt because I had a bad morning. It's like, you're not a Christian. I was feeling condemned. And it's like, you're not a Christian. You just had a rough morning. You sinned. You were selfish. You were, you were, you were like really sinful against, to, your, um, to your roommate or your wife or your spouse or whatever. And, and in order to boost my, my, I am a Christian. It's like, oh, I'll listen to some worship music. But the thing is, it wasn't the lyrics of the worship music. It was the fact that I was listening to worship music that made me feel like I was doing good. 
Do you see, my faith was misplaced, not in the truth of what was being sung, but in the fact that I was doing the thing that, oh yeah, I, I am a Christian, this is what Christians do. I came to the end of myself in 2008, 2009. I went off to college. Uh, I commuted to NKU. I uh, lived at my parents' house. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but regardless of all the details, that point in my life, it was the first time I made a life decision that went against what my parents thought I should do. That absolutely killed me. I hit rock bottom. I didn't know how to handle disappointing my parents. It was that bad. That's a silly little thing, but it was that bad. What ended up happening, God used that time in my life to bring me face to face with the fact that I don't know God. I didn't know Christ. My faith was in nothing more than all I was doing. That's where my faith was at. I was holding to all that I was doing. And that came crashing down to a point where I was at rock bottom. It's like, there's nothing I can do to get out of this, this feeling like I've disappointed somebody that I look up to. It's like, what, what do I have to do to get out of this? It's like, you can't do anything. At that time, a good friend, many of you know him, their family goes here, the Hattons, Adam Hatton. He shared the gospel with me. And I had heard it many times before and I could say it, all the buzzwords I could throw around. Adam saw through that though. God gave him wisdom to see through all the things that I was saying and I could, I could pieces here and there. He saw that all of my efforts were things that I felt like I had to do, not things that I wanted to do. Like Paul, Adam looked at me and he saw that I was missing Christ. So picture this, Adam, he was a painter. He had his own business and he hired me to, to paint this room camouflage. So there was this house and there was this room that was gonna be camouflaged for, for a boy, I assume. Uh, and we were in there painting. It was late. We were trying to finish this job. Picture a room that's unfinished and there's pizza box in the middle of the floor. We're eating and we're talking and there's drapes everywhere and folding ladders and we're having this great conversation. And Adam, Adam is saying, Aaron, what's, what's the gospel? And we're talking and it's like, oh yeah, I got this, the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. It's like, oh yeah, well, who's Jesus? Well, it's like, he's the son of God. What did he do? It's like, I already said that. He, he, he died on the cross. It's like, well, what difference does that make? It's like, uh, I got to the point where it's like, I was just going in circles. I, w- I was not connecting the dots. Adam then proceeded, we're painting this wall, and he goes and he paints a target on the wall. <laughs> he said, Aaron, all our efforts are like trying to hit this target. We fall short every time. We miss the mark. Aaron, do you know what Jesus did? And it's like, I mean, he died on the cross. It's like, I already said that. It's like, well, what does that mean? Do you know what he did? It's like Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and was righteous so that he could be the sacrifice on the cross and pay for our sins so that we could be right before God. And that is the gospel. It's like, well, what does that mean? I knew that. It's like, what that means is that target When God looks down from heaven, Aaron, he doesn't see your measly attempts or efforts at trying to hit the mark. All he sees is the blood of Christ on your behalf, which is his righteousness for me. I'm holding to my righteousness. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold to Christ's righteousness. I was missing Christ. My mind was blown. God opened my eyes. Praise, praise the Lord to the gospel of who Christ is and what he did. 
I feel like I was one of the Israelites Paul was talking to. Aaron, you're missing it. But now I feel like Paul, where God has opened my eyes and I see that I was missing it. I remember how I felt and I look out and I see people. It's like, you really look like how I remember feeling with all this doubt and confusion and you're hitting on all the pieces. But do you really see what Christ did? I want to, for the remainder of the time, I want to look at three requirements. They're in your bulletin. And, and don't hear what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm not saying. Three requirements. There is nothing you can do apart from God drawing you to save yourself. It's the grace of God. But I see three things that need to happen in your heart, in your life. Number one. You know what, before I get there though, let me, let me address and just say, if you're, if you're a Christian and you understand, praise God for saving you. Praise God, yes, amen. Think of ways that you can see through the buzzwords and you can point people to Christ. We gotta be bold and share the gospel, the good news of Christ. But if you're sitting here and you're like, my goodness, Aaron, you've said the gospel, you've said Jesus, you've said Christ, like 150 times already this morning. We get it. Let me tell you something. To those who know Christ, the gospel never gets old. It never gets old. If the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't excite you, if it doesn't encourage you, bring you to say, thank you, Lord. If it doesn't spur you on, motivate you to praise him. If, if hearing the gospel... If you, don't, if you don't taste complete satisfaction and peace and joy at the sound of the gospel, then maybe you don't understand what he really did for you. And that is number, number one, point number one. You need to have the full picture of who Christ is and what he did. Look at chapter 10, verse three and four. Actually, starting in verse 2. For I bear them witness that they having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Okay, that's what it says, but what does that look like? It's like Paul is saying, you can be zealous for things of God, but it's like it's Israel, it's not for lack of passion to obey God. It's misplaced faith. It's in the wrong righteousness. You can be going after things of God, but if you don't have the knowledge of who Christ is and his righteousness on your behalf, then all you're left to put your faith in is your own righteousness. How this stuff plays out practically, I see uh, being in youth ministry, I I talk to, to pastors or or youth workers or volunteers uh, or people that I know um, and and I'm always trying to push to Christ and and there's some that I I talk to and they're doing all this stuff this conference and this teacher and this this worship uh, all these things this camp and this lock-in which are all cool things I ask them why do you do all this stuff and they say well because this is youth ministry it's like okay but why do you do this it's like well because we love the kids It's like, all right, why do you love the kids? Well, because we're supposed to. Why? Well, because they need help. It's like, what do they need help with? 
you just ask these questions. Like they see all these, but they're not connecting the dots. We do youth ministry and we have church because we want to point to Christ. We want to live radically different lives because of Christ. He is the hope that changes our lives. We want to help parents who are trying to raise their kids in the fear of the Lord. We don't want to do all these things to do all these things. We want to do all these things so we can point people to Christ. Why we do these things. That's what I was doing. Although I knew about Christ and could even articulate the gospel message. I could articulate it. I could have pieces of it. But then Adam shared the gospel with me one more time in a new, in a new way that God used to, to open my eyes. It's like I understood it. The second point is this. You need to have genuine faith in who he is and what he has done. Picture a bridge. There's a bridge over here. You can even understand how the bridge works, the stability, the structural support. You can say, I trust it. But you can't say you have faith in it until what? You go over it. I was like, yeah, Christ, yeah, Christ. I didn't have faith in Christ though. You have to understand who he is and what he did for you. And then you have to have genuine faith in who he is and what he's done. Chapter 10, verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Submitted. Submit means here to obey. Those who submit to God's righteousness, Christ, they will throw their hands up and give up their ability to do, to do anything good. They lean completely on Christ's righteousness. So what does that look like practically for me? And and I don't know about for you, but that means for me, when I'm having a bad day, I didn't pray today. I didn't read today. I feel rotten. The devil is trying to condemn me and you're not good, Aaron. You can't do it. It's like, God, thank you. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm holding to Christ who paid it all and was perfect for me. And that is what should motivate me to be bold and to go forward, even though I am a dirty, rotten sinner still. I'm holding to Christ's righteousness on my behalf. And it's like, I still try and I still do. I fail. But when I fail, it's not, oh, woe is me. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. God, thank you. Christ, thank you that you paid the price that I could never pay for myself. We give up our ability to try and do and say, thank you, Jesus. To submit, as it says in 10.3, you need to acknowledge and have come to the end of yourself and put all your faith in Christ. Accept and submit to the fact that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. To submit, to, to go off the bridge illustration, to submit means, say, here's the bridge and, and here's, here's the solid ground. I think it's solid. I'm standing over here, my unrighteousness. You can't, just, you can't just put some weight on the bridge. It's like you're still trusting. It's like you have to step on to the bridge and rely completely with all of who you are. Your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, all your strength. Paul Washer says it well. I think this is in your outline. Paul Washer says it well in his book, The Gospel Call and True Conversion. He says, in the scriptures... To believe is not limited to an intellectual understanding of certain facts or even the acceptance of them. Instead, it is true 
It is to trust in and rely upon the object of our faith to the degree that we base our actions upon it. Our faith or belief in Jesus Christ is not validated by the strength of our verbal confession. And boy, do people have verbal confessions of faith. It's not even by supposedly how we feel in our hearts. Rather, it is proven true or false by the degree to which his person and will determine our actions and direct the full course of our lives. You do what you do because you believe what you believe. If what you say, your verbal confession, if what you say doesn't line up with what you do, then what you say you believe is called into question. As a matter of fact, in the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, it would call you a liar. I believe God brings people to the end of their rope. And some of you know what that feels like. That's what I was. I hit rock bottom when I made that decision to go to commute to school versus obey my parents. They thought I should go away to school. It's all silly, but I was at the end of my rope. There was nothing else I could do. I believe God brings people to the end of their rope, not to punish them, but to help them see they can't do it on their own. Their own efforts and righteousness has failed again and again and again. As Christians, uh, the vision statement, we should be bold. We should be radically different. But we shouldn't just be radically different. We should be radically different and be able to say why we're radically different. And it's because of who Christ is and what he's done. The third and final requirement uh, is a little (laughs) iffy. Uh, It's not good to be saying my own points are iffy. Um, The wording, I should say. You need to have an understanding of who Christ is and what he did. And you need to have genuine faith in who he is and what he did. And the third one says, you need to pursue holiness because of who he is and what he's done for you. It could be better stated this way. If you know who Christ is and what he's done for you, and you have placed your faith in his righteousness on your behalf, you will pursue holiness. It is the fruit of true repentance and conversion. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It says in 10.4. Christ being the end of the law does not mean we can sin and do whatever we want. On the contrary, Christ being the end of the law should motivate us to pursue holiness and obey God's word. It says in Romans 2.4, the goodness of God leads to repentance. The goodness of God, Christ's righteousness on our behalf, how God has blessed us so much. True repentance is this. If you know Christ, who Christ is, and you've seen and understand what he accomplished at the cross, that means you were going this way, hard after sin. You were going hard after sin. Even, even sin can look like righteousness. My sin, I was a good kid, the fruit of the spirit award. My sin, I was pride. I loved praise but I was going hard this way after myself, satisfying my flesh. But praise God, he snatches people up and he takes out a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and he points them this way towards the glory of God. You don't have an awareness of sin over here, but here it's like you have an awareness because you see how short you fall and you can see God's glory. 
True repentance is if you know Christ and you've seen and understand what he's accomplished at the cross. You hold to the promises of God's righteousness and not your own. Then God grants you repentance and you turn from your sins because of his holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things are new. You have an awareness of your sin. You're going a different direction. A couple chapters later in 2 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, Paul is talking about sorrow. Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Follow along as I read if, if you would like to turn there. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 9 through 11. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. The same zeal that you have for sin, how you seek it out because you want it, you want to satisfy the flesh, all of the ways that we connive. We're headed hard that way, no matter how it looks. And there's nothing we can do to turn ourselves around apart from the grace of God. Worldly sorrow produces death in me. I was going hard this way and it's like, oh, I knew what sin was and oh, I got caught in a sin. It's like, okay, all right. But it's like my repentance, it wasn't, it wasn't because of godly sorrow. It was, I got caught. I was sorrowful because I got caught. Godly sorrow. You're robbing from the glory of God. You see, you're going this way. It's like, God, I'm sorry. Repent from your sins and pursue holiness. Because of Christ's righteousness. Now, uh, as, as the band comes up, uh, bottom line, we said we want to talk about the question, how does somebody get saved? It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness. Are you holding to your own or his? Bottom line, alone, we miss the mark. Nothing we ever do can hit the mark. Perfect church attendance. You don't lie, you don't steal, you don't murder. Whatever it is. Scripture is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even your goodness is filthy rags before His holiness, before Him. Alone we missed the mark, but Christ hit the mark. Bullseye, dead center, once and for all. How do we know we aren't missing Christ or how others aren't missing Christ? I challenge you. The book of 1 John talks all about the marks of a believer. Read it, study it, go through it, be encouraged or be, be convicted. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That will be there for a true believer who has experienced and places faith in the righteousness of Christ. But do you know what? We can fake fruit. We can put up the front that it's like I can demonstrate some of the fruit of the Spirit. The problem is this, is your faith 
in the fruit or is it in Christ's righteousness that then will produce the fruit? If you guys would, please bow your heads, close your eyes as we finish. If you know Christ, praise God. Spend some time now doing that. Thank him for who he is and that he picked you up and turned you around and granted you repentance and opened your eyes to who he is and what he has done. But if you don't know Christ, I I plead, cry out for faith right now from God. Cry out for faith in his righteousness that is found only in Christ. God, I, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for drawing sinners to yourself, for saving sinners. God, I pray now that you would reveal yourself to people in this room, to to believers, God, that you would reveal, reveal more of who you are, but to sinners, God, open their eyes to the gospel. Grant people repentance, Lord, according to your word, so that people can be most satisfied in you and in no other thing.